1: Jeffrey Franklin was born in 2000 in Bingham, New York, an upstate town of about 45,000 people. It borders the state of Pennsylvania and is considered a metropolitan area that is centered around education and healthcare. Born to a deaf mother, Jeffrey or JR, as he was known from his birth initials, was also born deaf. In addition to that, he was also on the autism spectrum. Caring for the child was not something his birth parents were able to do as easily as they had their own struggles. So for the first 10 years, Jeffrey lived with various relatives and eventually wound up in foster care. While living with an aunt, she recalls him as a joyful kid who loved to hug strangers and wasn't afraid to share your fries with you if you happened to sit next to him at a ball game. She didn't know sign language, so communicating with Jeffrey was difficult. Caring for him was also a challenge because even though he was older, he still required constant care and even wore diapers. He couldn't be left alone or unsupervised. He loved trains and the Nintendo game Super Mario Brothers. She recalls he was Mario for Halloween one year, and he insisted on wearing the mustache from the costume to school and pretty much everywhere for a month straight. While in foster care, Jeffrey stayed with a young, newly married couple, the Franklins. Heather knew sign language already and was quickly able to bond and communicate with the young boy, who was 11 at this time. Heather and her husband, Ernest, were not able to have children. In fact, they had miscarried a child recently and were desperate to start a family. Having fostered several children already, none quite stuck with them like Jeffrey did. They knew he wasn't an average 11 year old boy and would be a bit of a challenge, but they were elated and so much so that they decided to adopt Jeffrey and take them on as their son forever. Excited, Jeffrey's aunt helped him pack what little belongings he had and they headed off to a new home he was now going to be in. She asked him if he wanted to be in a family with a mom and a dad that he didn't have to share. She remembers him enthusiastically signing yes as they drove on to the Franklins' home. Not too long after moving in with his new family, Jeffrey's aunt received a call from the Franklins. They were wondering how to keep Jeffrey from opening doors. Apparently, he had learned how to get himself into the family's chicken coop and they were concerned he could run from the house. This is the last time she would hear from them or of Jeffrey until almost five years later when she was looking at the obituaries and a name jumped out of the page. J.R. Jeffrey R. Franklin, 16, of Mount Upton, passed away unexpectedly on Wednesday, March 1, 2017. He was born on July 22, 2000, in Bingham, New York. He is survived by his parents, Ernest and Heather Franklin, grandparents, aunts, uncles, many great aunts and uncles, and his loving church family and homeschool community. J.R. was a joyful spirit. He loved trains and enjoyed the ride on the Cooperstown Charlotte Valley Railroad last year. He loved people and embraced everyone, capturing the hearts of everyone he met. J.R. had a caring nature and enjoyed books. He liked to sort items by color, build things with Legos, and he enjoyed family game days. A Celebration of Life will be held at 1 p.m. on Sunday, March 5, 2017, at C.H. Lander's Funeral Chapel, 21st Main Street, Sydney, New York. In lieu of flowers, in honor of Jr.'s love for trains, please consider donations to the Leatherstocking Railway Historical Society. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show!
1: It was 1.15am when the call came in stating a home was engulfed in flames. The call was made by a neighbor to the Franklins. He was sleeping when he awoke to sounds of excessive banging and someone pleading for them to call 911. He remembers stepping out of his home that cold evening and seeing the fire that appeared to take over the tiny double-wide trailer his neighbor lived in with his wife and their son. They knew Ernest was outside because he was the one who knocked on their door, but where was Heather and young Jeffrey? They decided to call Heather's cell phone, no answer. A short time later, Heather returned the call and apologized for missing the call, but saw it was late and wanted to make sure that everything was okay. Firefighters arrived on scene as quickly as they could, but by the time they were there, it was too late. The entire trailer was burned to the ground. While they were working to fight the flames, Ernest Franklin appeared outside, and he calmly showed them where his young son Jeffrey's room was. Shortly after the fire department arrived and began to fight the blaze, Heather Franklin pulled into her driveway. She was greeted by her husband and she collapsed in his arms and began to sob. Concerned neighbors asked where Jeffrey was and Heather's response was he was unaccounted for. She did express concern to her husband about the many animals the family had and wanted to make sure they were all able to escape unharmed. Once the fire was contained, they made the horrific discovery in Jeffrey's room. There in his bed laid his body where it appeared he was sleeping when the fire took over. Among the debris, the structure that remained was the home's wood-burning stove, the only source of heat for the house. It was still late winter, and this is upstate New York, so the nights are still very cold and snow is not something unheard of this time of year. Having a fire burning as the only source of heat is something that all residents do out of necessity. When fire inspectors initially surveyed the scene, they were able to trace the source of the fire back to the wood-burning stove. It's a newer model with a cast-iron handle that has a clear fireproof glass door that will lock and unlock easily by moving the handle to the left or right. It appeared that the door was open, wide open, but that it was never shut after the fire was started. Several days after the fire, a celebration of life for Jeffrey was held in lieu of a funeral. Guests were given light blue programs with cartoon trains printed on the cover. On the back page was a full-size picture of Jeffrey standing tall and proud in front of one of his favorite trains. Neighbors started a GoFundMe account to raise money for the family. The trailer they owned was not insured and they didn't have anything left after the blaze ripped apart their family and their home quickly funds soared and reached around $10,000. Heather took to Facebook to say the following, quote, I am not trying to ignore anyone at this point, just having a very hard time coping and keeping down triggers as much as possible for my mental state and for the safety of our unborn child, end quote. Friends and family commented with their thoughts and prayers and offers of support. While all of this was going on, The family was still displaced and had a slew of pets from dogs and cats to chickens that needed someone to take care of them in their absence. A neighbor took on that responsibility, and miraculously, all of the Franklins' pets survived the fire. Heather and Ernest married in 2010, shortly before adopting Jeffrey. Ernest lived and grew up in Mount Upton, New York, a single stoplight town that is about 70 miles southeast of Syracuse. This town has a population of about 3,000. He joined the Army right out of high school. In fact, it was August of 2001, just two months prior to the September 11th attacks on the Twin Towers when he enlisted. While in the Army, Ernest claims to have served two tours in 2002 and 2003, one in Afghanistan and one in Iraq, and he says he suffered PTSD and depression from this. Records obtained show that Ernest was not stationed in Iraq, Afghanistan, or anywhere in the Middle East. In fact, he was stationed in Germany. When he returned to the States, he met and began to date Heather. Heather was born in Virginia. She moved to Mount Upton, New York to be with Ernest. Here was a young couple who wanted to start a family of their own, but due to difficulties with pregnancies, the couple opted to adopt a special needs son, who always wanted a forever home of his own. In January of 2017, just three months before the fire, Heather found out she was pregnant with a boy. She posted two black-and-white sonogram photos to her Facebook page and said she was due in June of 2017. The baby, she said, was camera-shy, just like his father. She didn't mention Jeffrey or him becoming a big brother, but perhaps he wasn't aware yet or she wasn't sure how he would react. But all of that happiness, all of that perfect family, was now gone. At least Jeffrey was. Investigators were still looking into the cause of the fire and wanted to know more about that night and what happened and why was that door to the fireplace left open. The story that was given by the Franklins for what happened on the night of the fire is the following. The family had a seemingly normal day, They ate dinner and decided to watch a movie. The movie they watched was an Oscar award-winning film called Manchester by the Sea. It is a little over two hours long, and it ended around 11.30. Heather, who was seven months pregnant at the time, said she was having trouble sleeping, so she decided to leave the home in the dead of winter that evening to purchase some Benadryl from the store. The location of the trailer that they live in is off of State Highway 8, And is set back in some woods. The town of Mount Upton is a small one, very quiet, and has few, if any, businesses that are open past 9 p.m. If residents wish to purchase anything after hours, they must venture into nearby Sydney or up to Norwich. The trek to Sydney is a straight drive down Highway 8, the road their home is off of, and it's probably about a 20-minute drive. There is where the local supermarket Price Chopper is. It is open 24 hours, so Heather decides to make a stop there for her Benadryl. Except Heather gets to the store, but she doesn't purchase the Benadryl. Instead, she leaves and heads back out in the cold, and this time it's around midnight. She drives back on towards Highway 8 north, headed to Mount Upton. She passes her trailer and keeps going. She makes another trip up to Norwich. This is the town that is twice as far away as Sydney and required her to go out of her way significantly in order to get there. It's not that the store in Sydney was closed, it's open 24 hours, and it definitely sells the medication she was seeking. When asked by authorities why she drove the extra distance to yet another store, her reason was she was bargain hunting. So she went to the Walmart up in Norwich to get a better deal, apparently, on the Benadryl that she was seeking. After she left the Walmart, Heather once again gets back into her car and heads down State Highway 8. And yet again, she passes her home and keeps going. This time, she returned to the price Chopper in Sydney to revisit their selection. When she finally arrived home, much later than what a simple 45-minute round-trip errand would take, she was gone for a total of three hours and drove approximately 70 miles during this time. All the while, she doesn't have a valid driver's license. When detectives went to the stores to obtain the surveillance footage of those trips, they did see that Heather was there when she said she was. But they noted she never set foot down the aisle that the medication is in. I personally can appreciate a good discount. However, I also know that both Walmart and Price Chopper sell Benadryl and both offer store-brand versions at a fraction of the cost. Assuming that she drives a car that gets 20 miles per gallon and gas is $2.75 a gallon, the 70 miles she drove cost her about $9.75 in gas alone. That's also about the price of one bottle of the brand name Benadryl that goes in most stores. Ernest, who stayed home, told investigators what happened the night after his wife left. Jeffrey had gone to bed and Ernest decided to add another log to the fire. In doing this, the family dogs got loose and left the property. Concerned for their safety, Ernest fled the home after them. He isn't sure if when he left, if he closed the door to the fireplace all the way or not, but he knows he ran out in a panic after the dogs. Once he was back in the yard with the dogs is when he noticed the blaze. He said at this point he was without a phone, so he ran to the nearby neighbor's home and began to pound on the door, demanding that they call 911. It is unclear if he attempted to enter the home to save Jeffrey or any of the family's pets. The blaze did take over the tiny trailer rather quickly and it was beyond salvageable by the time the firefighters arrived on scene. Police and arson investigators quietly worked behind the scenes to determine exactly what set the fire and how young Jeffrey died. Meanwhile, Heather and Ernest attempted to move on the best they could with their lives. Heather posted an update to her Facebook page just a few days after the services for Jeffrey were held. In addition to her post, she and Ernest also shared the GoFundMe account that was set up for family along with links to a wish list of items that Heather created for supporters to purchase. The post she made said the following, quote, update, I'm still feeling lost without JR to take care of. However, through all of this, we have not had to worry about any physical needs as it seems God has used the people around us to show us so much love and support, End quote. The neighbor that called 911 was also taking care of the many pets the family owned. He began to suspect there was something more about the family and he started to recall specific instances that were now red flags to him. As a father of two children who are also on the autistic spectrum, He understood the struggles and challenges that come with raising them. He did not, however, understand how Heather seemed so spiteful towards Jeffrey. He remembered watching her sign to him and she seemed frustrated and angry. She often expressed her concerns about Jeffrey's out of control behavior, although no one recalls seeing Jeffrey act up, but she expressed he was a handful. There was also a point in which the family had to install an alarm on the bedroom door of Jeffrey's room because he would keep getting out at night. One time he got out of his bed and found a bottle of ketchup and painted the house with it. Investigators were also alarmed at the Franklins' behavior and found several things odd about the night of the fire. A firefighter recalls asking Ernest to describe Jeffrey and the words he used was, quote, he's a retard, end quote. And when asked to describe his room, the one word he said was piss. Couple that with the strange night excursion that Heather took the night of the fire while she had no legal right to drive in the first place. Neighbors found Ernest's reason for fleeing the home to chase after the dogs as odd because they have gotten off the property before many times and never anyone has ever chased them and they have always returned on their own. Another thing that wasn't sitting right with investigators was the movie that they watched. It was a specific movie that the couple told them that they watched. In the film, Manchester by the Sea, the main character lights a fire in the family's fireplace. He is awake and watching it, but he runs out of beer. His wife is asleep in the home on the first floor, and the children are in their beds on the second floor. Because he was drinking, he decided not to drive, and he walked to the corner store for some more beer. When he arrived back home, he was greeted by firefighters, and his home was ablaze. His wife managed to escape, but his children did not. The character in the movie was never charged with a crime because it was a pure accident, and he felt terrible about it. Investigators found it strange that not only did they just watch this film but almost the exact scenario played out in their home hours after viewing it. The autopsy results came back and the cause of death for young Jeffrey. Due to the fire, his body was so badly burned, the exact cause of death was not able to be determined. However, they were able to tell that from his organs there was no evidence of soot or smoke in his body, meaning that he was dead before the fire started. Blood tests were done and returned carbon monoxide levels of 2% in his body, which is in the average range that most people have of under 5%. When a person dies in a fire, the levels of carbon monoxide are much higher, usually in the 80s range. Tests of his organs returned no signs of natural causes that would lead to his death. Without any sufficient evidence to prove how he died, the manner of death was ruled undetermined. What they were able to determine, though, was that he was not killed in the fire, so someone had to have killed him before it was set, and perhaps the fire was used as an attempt to cover up a murder. That was enough evidence for police to arrest both Heather and Ernest and charge them with second-degree murder, third-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence. The tampering with physical evidence charges stem from the charred remains of Jeffrey, and how that hindered the ability for medical examiners to determine the exact cause of death. The family and community were outraged, shocked, and some in denial. The mother of Heather is a strong supporter of both her daughter and son-in-law and is adamant that they are both wrongly accused and that Jeffrey died from the arsenic in the trailer and not any other way. Toxicology and blood tests refute that theory. A very pregnant Heather was out on bail in April of 2017, and she gave birth to her son and stayed in seclusion at a friend's house while awaiting her trial. Ernest was tried first. His trial was pushed back three times, but finally jury selection began on Monday, February 25, 2019, almost two years after the death of his son. Defense attorneys argued that there is no way Ernest set the home on fire deliberately and it was nothing but a tragic accident. Prosecutors state that he did in fact cause the fire and was inspired by the movie Manchester by the Sea with the hopes of getting away with it. Witnesses testified stating that Ernest was a quiet and kind man that kept mainly to himself. He was active in the local community and church. Over the course of the trial, several doctors, police, and firefighters testified about the night of the fire. They testified that the fire began in a wood-burning stove and that the vent pipe was in good working condition, so an accidental fire would be highly unlikely. They believed that Ernest deliberately left the door open to the fireplace, allowing the fire to quickly spread throughout the trailer. Medical examiners testified that the body of Jeffrey suffered 100% burns, but there was zero signs of soot or smoke in the boy's windpipe or lungs, meaning he was not breathing during the time the fire was set. The defense claims that it was possible that Jeffrey was alive during the fire and that there's no evidence of accelerants used at the fire scene. In closing arguments, the prosecution states that Ernest was a sophisticated mastermind was upset and fed up with the caring for the now 16 year old boy who was about the size of a 10 year old boy. Jeffrey was born deaf and mute and lived with behavioral issues that could cause a stressful home environment. Ernest was expecting his firstborn son in a few months and wanted to be free of his burdens and responsibilities for caring for Jeffrey. That was the motive and the movie they watched gave them the idea for how to get away with murder. Defense attorneys paint an entirely different picture. They say that the couple were young and excited about their future and growing family. They describe the night of the fire as one of the worst days of Ernest's life and that the allegations here are serious and upsetting, but there's two sides to every story. Ernest faces 25 years to life if he is found guilty. The jury took just one hour and 40 minutes to deliberate before reaching a verdict. Guilty on all counts. He faces sentencing on May 3, 2019. Heather's trial was set to begin on Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019. In a shocking turn of events, the day before the trial, Heather changed her plea to guilty. She will no longer stand trial for the murder as she pled guilty to first-degree manslaughter, arson, and tampering with physical evidence. She is expected to be sentenced to a minimum of seven years in state prison in June of 2019. This will conclude the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and if you like what you hear, please leave me a review. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.